it. My goodness. Um, This morning we have our usual monthly time when Andy and I actually talk about the sermon together. And um, I'm going to take this out of my pocket. It is getting messed up. Let's see. Um, So this morning's scripture is, as we're making our way through the Bible, we are in a really weird section that no one ever reads out loud. (laughs) And it's first king. That's like a lot of the Bible, actually. It turns out it's a lot of the Bible, right? But we're in first kings, and if you want to follow along, it's first kings 12. We'll start right at the first verse of that chapter, first kings 12. So here, this story that Andy and I will, uh, will pray over and then talk about this morning with you. And it has some good names in it, so pray for me. <laughs> Rehoboam went to Shechem. For all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. And when Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon, Jeroboam returned from Egypt. And they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father has made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke that he placed on us, and then we will serve you. And he said to them, go away for three days and then come again to me. And so the people went away. And then King Rehoboam took counsel with the older men who had attended his father Solomon while he was still alive, saying, how do you advise me to answer this people? And they answered him, if you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. But he disregarded the advice of the older men, and he consulted the young men who had grown up with him and now attended to him. And he said to them, what do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, thus you should say to this people who spoke to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you must lighten it for us. Thus you should say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's loins. (laughs) now whereas it's the best line in all of scripture (laughs) please continue now whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke i will add to your yoke my father disciplined you with whips but i will discipline you with scorpions yeah so jeroboam and all the people came to rehoboam on the third day as the king had said said come to me again on the third day And the king answered this people harshly. He disregarded the advice that the older men had given him and spoke to them according to the advice of the young men. My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people because it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might actually fulfill God's word, which the Lord had spoken by Ahijah, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, son of Nebat. Well done. Thank you. When all Israel saw that the king would not, in fact, listen to them, the people answered the king in return. What share do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, look to your own house now, O David. And so Israel went away to their tents. But Rehoboam reigned over the Israelites who were living just in the towns of Judah. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and resided there. He went out from there to build Penuel. And then Jeroboam said to himself, Now the kingdom may well revert to the house of David. 
If this people continues to go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, the heart of this people will turn against, uh, again to their master, King Rehoboam of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam of Judah. And so the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. He said to the people, you have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one calf in Bethel, and he set the other in Dan. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Yeah, I wouldn't be sure how to answer that one either. So this morning's story, uh, as we're about to discuss, is about a man who makes some decisions about how this kingdom, this new kingdom, is going to be ruled after Solomon. Andy, how do you want to frame this one? So, this morning, um, Jules and I have chosen to divvy up the workload for this sermon in the following way. Jules will be talking primarily about the Bible, and I will be talking quite a bit about Star Wars. (laughs) So, and I have written a note here that Jules made me write down because I got so excited. It says, be brief, don't geek out too much. So... The clock is starting. Okay. So I want to talk about Star Wars, and here's why. So if you are a Star Wars fan at all, or if you're familiar with the Star Wars movies, you know that episodes 4, 5, and 6 came out first, way back starting in the 70s. And then, after those three classic, amazing, outstanding movies came out, we had to wait many, 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 many years for what were the prequels, episodes 1, 2, and 3. And they were not very good. Not very good movies. A lot of disappointment for Star Wars fans. A lot of grumbling and trying to justify, but really just being overall disappointed. And then a number of years passed again. A whole lot of years passed, and it was announced they're finally going to make episodes 7, 8, and 9. And we all got so excited. Finally, we're going to return to this story that we've been waiting to return to. It's going to be a continuation with the characters that we love so much. We knew that Han Solo and Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker were all going to be in the movie. And we'd probably even see Yoda. And so we were super excited for when the movie Star Wars The Force Awakens came out. And I remember being in the theater with my boys and watching The Force Awakens, and it was awesome. And we watched this movie. We started to kind of look at each other as the movie was going on because we realized that essentially the Empire, the bad guys, were building this giant destructive thing, this Star Destroyer, that seemed to resemble the Death Star. And sure enough... The whole point of the movie turned out to be that an amazing, like, X-wing fighter flew in to destroy this giant planet-destroying machine. And I remember the whole movie got done. And a lot of us Star Wars fans just kind of looked around at each other really nervously, waiting to see who would speak first. And finally, I, I think I remember one of the boys looking at me and going, Hey, Dad. Wasn't that exactly the same movie as the first one? Like, wasn't it basically the same story told again? I mean, the echoes of the same movie. And I had to look at them and admit and go, yes, boys, it was. 
It was essentially Star Wars A New Hope, the original Star Wars movie, just remixed, just rebooted. I said, how do you feel about that? And they smiled real big and they said, it was awesome. (laughs) Didn't matter. And to many of us Star Wars fans, it didn't matter either. The fact that the story, the original story had been retold and reframed with some new characters and some awesome action scenes didn't matter. This is something we see over and over in storytelling, and we see it in this story from the Bible. How many of you, as we were reading this story, said, wait a minute, this sounds a lot like another story that we did recently. Anybody? Anybody? If you didn't get it, by the time she got to Golden Calves, that should have been like the the Death Star of the story, right? Like, we've heard this story before. This is a whole retelling of the Exodus story, right? Right down to the hardening of hearts. Yeah, and Egypt and all of that. Well, Jules has done some fantastic exegesis to point out those parallels so why don't you launch in? Why don't you launch in and tell us how this story? Yeah, reflects. so we're just going to hit the highlights because there's so many of them that, in fact, there are rabbinical texts that are just about this story. Mm-hmm. Um, and you remember last week how we kind of went through Ruth and we said, "Oh, there's some secret stuff in here. Let's highlight it and bring it to the fore." That's basically what we're going to do right now, but very briefly because, in fact, we want to get to the gospel about this and in, in Amen. At, before the end of the sermon. So I just want to highlight some things for you that you may have heard and may have lost when you were getting lost between Rehoboam and Jeroboam and all of the Shabbats and the Nebats and the names and everything. Okay. So did anybody notice that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, was in Egypt? Who noticed that? All right. There's every time you hear Egypt, you should definitely get your little ears perking because there are huge parallels between what Jeroboam has done and what we will hear in what we have heard in Exodus that Pharaoh has done. Very similar behaviors. So you start to get your tips in there. We also really want to pay attention to this phrase. Your father has made your yoke heavy. Anybody remember what Pharaoh continually did to the Israelites in Egypt. Does anybody remember that story? What did he do to them? He enslaved them. He forced them to build cities. He, yep, he made them build, build the cities out of bricks with not, no straw. They, he said just clay, right? Half the work, or twice the work with half the materials. And so he keeps doing this thing where it's paralleling the Exodus story and specifically what Pharaoh has done. Now, he also tells the people who are asking for help to go away for three days. Did you catch that? He says, go away. I want to think about this for three days. In Exodus, do you remember Moses and the people say, we need to go away for three days. We need to go worship on the mountain. Please release us for three days. This is one of those places three days matters. It's kind of an important number in scripture anyway. But this parallel in that order of going away for three days follows the logic of the Exodus. Then we get into this whole advice-giving problem. How many people remember the plagues? Mm -hmm. I mean, not personally, but (laughs) in the story of Exodus, right? (laughs) So we have this problem where Moses and Aaron, who are elders in the community, come to Pharaoh in the Exodus story, and they say, listen, we have some advice to give you. 
we don't, we, we're not saying that you're evil, but we are saying that this is wrong and people are crying out and you should listen to us as elders in the community. You should release the people and let us leave to go to worship on the mountain. And Pharaoh says what? No. Thank nope. you, whoever said no. No. Nope. Pharaoh says no, and they have to come back and forth, back and forth, back and forth all the time until he finally is forced to say yes. But he disregards the advice of the elders in the community. In this story, he goes with the advice of the younger people in the community, and I'm not going to get into that today. That's not a parallel with the Exodus story. <laughs> but it is something that we could have spent a lot of time on, I imagine, especially when the, the funniest phrase in all of Scripture is included in that. Um, <laughs> So he, he says, now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. He doubles down on the punishment, just like Pharaoh does. Mm-hmm. So we keep reading. There's only a little bit more. So the king didn't listen to the people, and he does all of this evil uh, doubling down behavior that is clearly from the story considered to be quite oppressive. There is, it is clear that he is doing something that nobody thinks is a good idea except the young men in the community who are basically his yes men, right? They're his friends from school. They're the ones who are always going to say yes to him, always agree with him. And he says, um, because it, he, he does this, because it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill God's word. Now, over and over again in the Exodus story, do you remember the phrase, Pharaoh hardened his heart? Mm-hmm. Yes. This is the same phrase, the same storytelling device that's used in Exodus so that as the leader continually gets harsher and harsher, the story says, actually, this is in some ways to God's will to express the way in which God will liberate the people. It's a bad thing that happens, but we're going to tell it in this way so that we can sort of say, in the end, God will do an even bigger thing out of this terrible moment. And it's the same phrase in the story. It doesn't say hard in the heart, but it is the same expression in the Hebrew. So clear parallel to Pharaoh again. And then we end up with a direct quote from, in case we're not catching on, we get a direct quote from Exodus 12. The people say, we're out of here. To your tents, O Israel, look now to your own house, O David. The to your tents, the leaving language, is a direct reference to Exodus. And it's an actual quote. Then we get, in case we haven't figured it out by now, and I love these stories where it's like, it kind of ramps up. It starts with Egypt, and it's like, hint, hint, Egypt, pay attention. And then there's all these phrases that are really similar. And then at the end, the storytellers, the scripture writers, the folks that were inspired to write this by God were like, all right, we're going to really nail it down. In case people weren't catching on, we're going to talk about golden calves. <laughs> and not only is there going to be one golden calf, we're going to really <laughs> nail it down. Double it up. <laughs> and this is the point at which really we see the impact, the devastating impact of the way that this king has behaved. Because not only does he harm the people in exactly the same way that they've been harmed in the Exodus through the oppressiveness of Pharaoh. But he also manages through his own pride to completely destroy the new nation of Israel, the northern and southern kingdom. He completely divides them and actually one half of them goes away forever and is never heard of again, basically, in the, in the context of the story. And the golden calf moment is really the moment in which you see, oh, this story has now changed permanently. And he has done absolute damage to the nation. So you can see, if we walk through the story super carefully, 
These people are not telling the story accidentally. They're remembering their own history and they're actually reliving it. Mm -hmm. So there are themes, major themes we have to pay attention to in order to understand how to proceed. And this is not, if you're familiar with, with literature, if you're actually familiar with politics and history, you know that we have the old adage that those who, who don't learn from history are, are destined to repeat that history. We see that play out over and over in our stories, in our life. Even in the story of the church, and maybe especially in the story of the church, it's why we have Reformation that happens pretty continually. Martin Luther, 500 years ago, the great Protestant reformer, he said that the church should constantly be reforming. And he was the one who started the Reformation in, in not desiring initially to break off from the Catholic Church, but saying, we've gotten to our place where this is empire. It's no longer faith and following Jesus, but we've created empire and we can't do this anymore. And he starts the Reformation. And for a while, it's clicking and things are good. And 500 years later, what have we done? We found ourselves having created a new religious empire, right? The church has become, in a sense, an, a whole new, different kind of religious empire. And once again, we, and this, this plays out in the Hebrew scriptures where the prophets speak to the nation of Israel. And we have prophets in our time, too. We have people who look at where we have taken this faith of ours. And they're like, oh, my gosh, we're living the same story again. We have to tell a different story. We have to tell a different story. We can't continue this one. We've got to do things differently. This is, quite frankly, a little aside for me, this is why I'm such a big fan of Richard Rohr and why I talk about him so much. His father Richard will, will say that we're at the point now, we've got to retell. We've got to tear th some things down and tell the story differently. And I tend to agree with him in that. Well, and I think, you know, talking about religious institutions is kind of big and abstract. And we, yep. you know, we see Jesus doing that work as well, where he says, we've gotten off the track here. You're just reliving the old thing. You're just retelling mm. the same story over and yeah, over again. That's... But we do it in our own families, right? Oh, yeah. Like, we watch the folks in, the, um, in Israel, and they've just been oppressed by... Uh, the Egyptians, they have judged, they still tell this story all the time. It's what the Seder meal is, is a retelling of the liberation and deliverance from Egypt. And then they go and they, they and their leaders do it again. They do what was done to them, to themselves. And I was thinking about families and how we do that in our families. Do you think like, I will not act like my parents. Mm -hmm. I will not relive that story. I will not get caught in that cycle. Yeah. And then we... Click, click, click right back yeah. into it. And we if find we're ourselves not careful yeah, to totally. tell a new story, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's where that's where Jesus comes in and, and why I love the story of Jesus is his whole his whole message is we've got to tell a different story. We can't tell the same old story that we've done uh, throughout generations and generations. We have to do things differently. We have to reconsider all of this. That's why you hear him say, you know, you heard, you've heard it said this, but I tell you this. You've heard this said in the law, but I tell you, and he expands and he tells it differently. And he still uses the themes. Absolutely. But he completely twists yep. what they mean, right? Right. I mean, now, we came up with so many examples of this just off the top of our heads. Not eye for an eye, but turn the other cheek, right? Go the second mile. Don't judge other people. You without sin, cast the first stone. 
He totally changed that. If you think about that story in particular, that's the one I zoomed in on when we were talking, right? Yeah. I zoomed in on the story. If you remember the story, and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, where Jesus uh, is, is in the presence of a whole group of people who are about to kill a woman caught in adultery. They're about to stone her to death. And they ask him what they should do. Like, is this the right thing to do? Now, I imagine that this woman is one of probably hundreds who have been a victim of this kind of capital punishment. And Jesus draws in the dirt and then looks at them and says this profound thing. You without sin cast the first stone. Completely changes the narrative. Completely tells the story differently. It's not going to be the way that you have understood it to be. It's different. The resurrection is the ultimate retelling of the story, right? When death doesn't have the last word. You're not supposed to come back once you're out of here. But the story is different in Jesus. The resurrection story changes all of it. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. And I think about the table, right? Like we have these themes, these constant... On, this is what we're doing this year with these stories is remembering the whole context so that we can have a fuller and deeper understanding of what we do as Christian people with this 21st century lens that we have. And I think about the table and how every week we gather and what we're talking about really is manna. Mm-hmm. Right? We're talking about manna in the desert. We're talking about the bread of life. We're talking about all the same images, yeah. all the same themes, all, this, all the things that the ancient Hebrews and the Israelites and then all of their ancestors constantly revisit. And then Jesus takes it and he says at the Last Supper, hold on. Yeah. Let me do something new with this. Mm-hmm. Let me retell this story. And now we're retelling it over and over again. So and every time it's, it's, it's more expansive and more yeah. inclusive. Every time Jesus tells the story, it's to include more. It's to expand the whole of the gospel. But it's every a retelling time. in a new way mm-hmm. and breaking the old way of doing it in some ways. Keeping what is really important and valuable and central and also holding, up, holding into new spaces. Mm-hmm. Making sure that other people are included. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. It's really cool. Um, I think that's the good news for this morning is that we are called. We are called and we are challenged to do as Jesus did and to live the story differently, to tell the story differently, to not fall into the patterns that we so regularly can find ourselves falling into. I understand that there is a Star Wars explanation for this. Thanks for teeing me up. <laughs> so moving back to, um, to Star Wars for a moment. After The Force Awakens came out, and yes, it was a re- like a remix, a redux of the first movie, uh, the very first movie. We all still loved it anyway. Then um, another director took over, named Ryan Johnson. And Ryan Johnson directed and made a movie called Star Wars: The Last Jedi. And what he did in that movie, and that's why I put this picture up here on the screen. And this is a picture of. Uh, the sacred Jedi texts inside of the Jedi temple being burned. Hmm. And there's a moment in that movie where Luke Skywalker is, is he's angry. He's just an, an angry Jedi and he's talking to Yoda and he's talking about the sacred texts and what they've always told him. And, and, and Yoda, he said, I just feel like I want to burn those texts. And Yoda laughs 
this giddy, amazing laugh, and he just lights the whole temple on fire. And he looks at him and essentially says, it's never been about what's in the books. The force cannot be contained in a temple or in a set of sacred texts. It's bigger. It's broader. It's grander. And I found myself weeping in that moment because, of course, I'm making connections to God and faith and life. And I was loving it. And I said, this is my second favorite movie, my second favorite Star Wars movie of all time. Empire will always be the best. Let's be clear. My second favorite movie. I cannot wait to talk to people about this. I can't wait to talk about all these connections I've made. This is beautiful. It's going to change the world. And I walked out of that movie and I started to make the mistake that many of us do. I went on the Internet. And I started to read and I was looking for people who were just as elated and, and as um, excited as me. And I found out that there was an, actually a massive backlash against the movie. A lot of hardcore, diehard Star Wars fans hated it. And they hated it because it took the story and broadened it. And they were angry because the force isn't supposed to work that way. Here, There's a set of rules that the, the force is contained within. And they didn't like that part of it. I call them Star Wars fundamentalists. <laughs> they didn't like that part of it. And there are still people. I work with a guy in my new job. Big Star Wars fan like me. And we got into it and I started to talk about this movie. And he said, oh, that's garbage. That movie's garbage. <laughs> but here's what I take from that too. And this is actually, I think it's a sort of, it's a heads up for us. Hmm. For those of us who want to live the story differently and perhaps tell the story differently and not fall into the same patterns that eventually lead to exclusion and destruction and fundamentalism, we will face backlash. Hmm. That's just, just like what Jesus it is. Did. Just like Jesus. Yeah. You know, just like Jesus, to put ourselves out there and be committed to living that kind of, of radical expression of the gospel means that you face some backlash. There is real consequence to saying, absolutely, there is more here. You know, Father Richard in his own church has many, many Catholic leaders who call him a heretic and who warn people don't read his work. Martin Luther was one. Martin Luther. In fact, if we go back through history, we have all kinds of, of folks of the mystical bent and the prophetic, um, bent. prophetic bent who are labeled heretics and sometimes even killed, right? When we want to tell the story, when we are committed to this way of Jesus, which is to not live the same patterns, to not retell and relive these stories, we put ourselves out there. We put ourselves out there and, and may face some very real consequences of that. Mm -hmm. And yet, and yet, I don't know about you, but it's the only way I want to tell the story. It's the only way I can, I can imagine moving forward in this faith, in, in this, this gospel, this Jesus tradition, is to continue to expand and to broaden our understanding of it and, and our inclusion of everyone into it. Without dismissing it. Yeah, absolutely. without dismissing the tradition, of course. And with knowing the story well enough to be able to tell it in a new way. 
Yeah. Which is why we're doing this, right? Exactly. All right. Exactly. So the good news, and Andy and I said, it's the good news, but it's also the hard news. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's both. Is, and that's always true with the gospel, right? But the good news and the hard news is that we are called to tell the story and to live it in a new way. So as we're continuing in this journey across all the texts, as we continue to dive deep into the stories, ask the questions, what's really going on here? Mm-hmm. And look forward into what Jesus does and says about those same stories and say, what's new? What are we being asked to do that is new, that is difficult, that is different and that is always, always going to call us towards some sort of sacrificial and radical generosity of the kind that Jesus is calling us to. Let's pray as we move uh, into passing the peace. Holy One, we give you thanks for the ways in which your story shows up over and over again in our lives and the lives of our ancestors. Thank you for helping us to see where we fall into patterns that are not of your making that are not of your desire for our lives and for the, for the world. We ask you to help us to live in new ways, to reassess and to understand with creativity and transformation all of the ways in which resurrection is our calling, the ways in which incarnation is our calling, and yes, even the ways that crucifixion is in fact our calling and so we give you thanks for those moments for those insights and for those opportunities and all of god's children said amen amen Amen. invite you now take a few moments to look one another in the eyes and to share the peace of christ to say the peace of christ to be with you responses and also with you we'll take a few moments to share the peace of christ with one another and then as usual we will come back and sing spirit of the living god greet one another with the peace of christ well done you kept it kept it tight